What a great hope we have on that final day when as the church we will be saved to sin no more. Amen? If you have a Bible, please turn to James 3, verse 1 to 12. James 3, 1 to 12. Listen carefully now to the pure words of Jesus Christ. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the almighty word of God. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we ask that your undefiled word will expose the ways we misuse our tongues and speak with malice towards one another. Lord, we confess our sin and we plead for the sweet balm of your mercy. Lord, we ask that you'd show us the purity of your son and that you cause our weary hearts to praise him. Lord, I ask that you set a guard over my mouth so that I might not sin against you. And we ask that your word would go forth in power. Lord, we ask and plead that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would save the lost, and that you would strengthen your weary saints. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On March 11, 2020, WHO Director General Dr. Tedros 
in a call-to-arms statement, declared COVID-19 a pandemic. He said, WHO has been assessing this outbreak around the clock, and we are deeply concerned by both the alarming levels of spread and severity. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Pandemic is not a word to use lightly or carelessly. I have said from the beginning that countries must take a whole-of-government, whole-of-society approach built around a comprehensive strategy to prevent infections, save lives, and minimize impact. I remind all countries that we are calling on you to activate and scale up your emergency response mechanisms. Communicate with your people about the risk and how they can protect themselves. This is everybody's business. Find, isolate, test, and treat every case. Ready your hospitals. Protect and train your health workers. And let's all look out for each other because we need each other. Quite a call to arms indeed. Now we know that COVID-19 is not even close to being the most contagious or deadly pandemic in history. For instance, according to Britannica, the Black Plague killed at least 25 million people or one-third of Europe's population between 1347 and 1351. Even still, governments around the world have made difficult decisions to limit the spread of COVID-19. They've made war on this virus. From gatherings to businesses and airports, governments have imposed harsh restrictions all in the vain attempt to control a tiny, microscopic virus. But friends, there's a disease far more dangerous and far more impossible to control than COVID-19. You see, this disease knows no boundaries and infects us the moment we are conceived. There is not one son of Adam who has not felt its deadly bite and its effects are far more lasting than a visit to the emergency room or an appointment with the grave. This, my friends, is the deadly pandemic of the tongue. It is a restless evil, setting the entire course of life on fire. And if left untamed, it will lead us to suffer God's eternal wrath or judgment in hell. Beloved, if we are going to inherit eternal life, we must control the tongue. As we saw last week, our works reveal the true measure of our faith. And James here in chapter 3 continues this theme as he calls us to examine our words. Our words are like good works. You see, faith in Christ must bring forth speech that is pleasing to God. So the question for us this afternoon is quite simple. Can you, my friends, bridle your tongue? Can you bridle your tongue? So as James calls us to wage war against this deadly disease, he first shows us the power of the tongue in verse 1 to 5. 
Look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. Now, who are these teachers? Is James implying that God will judge our homeschool moms or school, school teachers with greater strictness than our accountants and engineers? Maybe some of, some of you right now are rethinking your career path. No, clearly James is talking about teachers in the church. You see, James even includes himself in this group in verse 1 when he says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Do you see that in the text? It says, we who teach, including himself. In the New Testament, the word teacher often referred to the role of an overseer or elder. You see, teaching is one of the main responsibilities of a pastor. As Paul explains in Titus 1.9, a pastor or an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So James here is talking about pastors. He's talking about men who teach the Scriptures in the context of a local church. And why does he warn many, many of these brothers not to become teachers? Because we who teach the Scriptures will be judged with greater strictness. When James used this word judge, he's continuing this idea of end times judgment that we saw last week. God will judge the genuineness of our faith in Christ by examining our works or our words. As Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. You see, God will examine our deeds of faith, and He will reward us accordingly in the new heavens and new earth. And James says that in God's final assessment, as He looks over the life of a Christian, the pastor-teacher will be judged with greater strictness. We are held to a higher standard because of our role as an overseer. As the author of Hebrews explains, we as elders will give an account for how we have cared for your souls. At the end of time, I will stand before Jesus Christ, and He will ask me, did you feed my sheep? Did you lead astray my blood-bought bride? Friends, there is a rightness about approaching this pulpit with fear and trembling. We teach the Word as men who will give an account. We must keep the Scriptures free from approach. And we do this by preaching the unadulterated gospel as the inspired author intended. Now, if that's not frightening enough, James also warns that teachers have more occasion to sin. So look at verse 2. He says, For we stumble, we all stumble, in many ways. 
You see, everyone stumbles or falls short of the glory of God, especially with our words. As Proverbs 10.19 explains, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. When there is an abundance of words, my friends, sin is not far behind. Each one of us stumble in what we say every single day. And you see, the very job description of a pastor is to use words, lots of them. We as pastors are no less prone to sin with our tongue. As Alistair Begg once said, the best of men are just men at best. Brother pastor, you and I will give an account for every word we say to this body. We must humble ourselves and ask God to set a guard over our mouths. He has given us this awesome privilege to shepherd and to teach Christ's blood-bought church. We must let God's Word take center stage in our ministry to this congregation. May we share the gospel truth in love. And may we be quick to repent when we are careless with our words. And when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, men of Grace Church, James warns that many of you should not become teachers. Just as it would be dangerous to allow my eight-year-old to drive us to rack, how much more should we be careful about who teaches the Word? Brothers, if you aspire to be a pastor, then you desire a noble task. But I want to warn you, especially you younger men, Do not clamor for this role. There are many good men who have fallen under the weight of this responsibility. Now, we see that James says that many of you should not become teachers, but some of you should. Brothers, if we have asked you to serve as an elder, know that we do not ask you lightly. We have observed your life, and we think that you are qualified and equipped to serve our body well. We need more faithful men to lock arms with us and to shepherd this flock. Now, James transitions from warning teachers in order to address the entire church in verse 2. So look again at verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James transitions with a conditional statement. If anyone does not sin with their words, then that person is perfect. Really? Perfect. Yes. James says that that person is without spot or blemish. Well, how can this be? Because that man who has self-control over the tongue, is able to bridle his entire body. The word bridle here refers to a harness used to control a large animal like a horse. And James says that if you are able to control your speech, then you will have no problem controlling the rest of your body. You will be perfect. 
But how can we control our entire bodies with such a small member like the tongue? As Douglas Moo points out, James has now made clear our words have an enormous impact on our spiritual condition. But has not James perhaps exaggerated the issue? Can our speech really have that big an impact? James anticipates this objection and now launches into a series of illustrations to reinforce his belief that a comparatively small member, such as the tongue, has influence out of all proportion to its size. So James now gives two illustrations that demonstrate how something very small can control the course of something very large. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, I don't know if you've ever stood next to a horse, but they are powerful animals. In fact, you should never stand behind a horse because its kick can kill you. Now, some of my relatives actually own horses, and when I was in university, I went horseback riding on their ranch. The horse I was given was an older horse. He was very seasoned. And he, knew, he was known to be unruly with a mind of its own. Even after you put the bit in its mouth and you take the reins, this horse would go where it wanted to go. So I had never ridden a horse before, so I had to learn how to pull the reins tight to redirect this stubborn but powerful horse. And sure enough, with a tight tug of the reins, I could steer this wayward horse where I wanted it to go. This powerful animal was steered by such a small bit in its mouth. This is also true of large boats. Look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds... They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. A rudder is a small piece of wood or metal in the water that will turn a ship. If you've ever been sailing, you can feel the power of the rudder. As the strong winds drive the boat, all you have to do is gently turn the rudder, and the whole boat will turn whichever way you choose. You are able to steer a large vessel where you will with such a small member like the rudder. And the same is true of the tongue. The same is true of the tongue. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This word boast is normally used negatively in the scriptures, but we see that the tongue actually has a right to boast. It can accomplish great and amazing things. And we see that this is actually according to God's design. Remember back in Genesis 1, God spoke the world into existence with His powerful words, and He also created us in His image who also speak. It is through words that we can relate to God and to one another. It's actually almost impossible to have a real relationship with someone if you don't know the same language. 
God has made the tongue a powerful tool. And like a bit or a rudder, it can turn the entire course of life for good or for evil. Words have power to give life. It is through words that we enjoy the love of a spouse, the joy of a friend, the comfort of a sibling, and the encouragement of a brother. It is through words that we enjoy the gifts of relationships and the greatest joys of this life. But words also have the power to destroy, slander, gossip, disregard, bitterness, condemnation, and strife all come from our words. Some of the deepest wounds in this life come from the tongue. As the church father Jerome once said, the sword kills the body, but the tongue kills the soul. The tongue knows no moderation. Either it is a great good or is a great evil. It is a great good when it acknowledges that Christ is God, and a great evil when it denies that. Let no one deceive himself into thinking that he has never sinned. For if I have sinned, it is with my tongue. What more monstrous sin is there than blasphemy against God? The devil did not fall because he committed theft, murder, or adultery. He fell because of his tongue. He said, I will scale the heavens above the stars, and I will set up my throne. I will be like the most high. Beloved, do you know the power of the tongue? We have a great responsibility in how we use this gift. It has the power to build up or to tear down, to encourage or discourage, to raise the most lowly soul or to devastate the most godly saint. How, my friends, are you using your tongue? Beloved, our main calling as Christians is to be men and women who know the Scriptures and speak this gospel word to one another. The very reason that Christ gave us pastors is to equip us for the work of ministry. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, the body grows up into full maturity as the members of the congregation speak the truth and love to one another. Beloved, if you want to grow spiritually, each one of us, every single one of us, must learn to minister the gospel with our words. We must be a people who are quick to encourage and quick to point others to Jesus Christ. We must be slow to anger. We must be slow to speak a harsh word. And we must be quick to repent when we do. We must know the power of the tongue. So first, James shows us the power of the tongue. And second, he warns us of its danger. So let's look at the danger of the tongue in verse 5 to 12. Look at the second half of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now James transitions to the main point of this passage. Though the tongue is small, it can bring great destruction to our souls and to others. Just like a spark on a dry grass, the tongue has the power to burn whole countrysides to the ground. It has great power to destroy. 
And like a forest fire, the destruction of our words can spread quickly and broadly. Gossip, slander, and false teaching are all like leaven that can quickly spread through our congregation. The destructive force of our words is not easily contained. In the western United States, they are always fighting wildfires. So if you've ever seen the the movie Planes, Fire and Rescue, you see how firefighters try to contain a wildfire. They spray a fire retardant around the edges of the fire in order to limit its spread within a certain radius. Now towards the end of the movie, we see that a fire broke containment and caught the entire forest ablaze. There was nothing else to do but to flee for safety. In the same way, my friends, our words are like a fire that can spread quickly and destroy relationships. Think back to the last time you had a war of words with someone. It's amazing how the slightest misunderstanding or the smallest offense can spark the greatest argument or shouting match. Beloved, does your boss or your spouse have to flee for cover from the raging fire of your words? Maybe some of you need to sit down and confess your sins to a brother or sister. Ultimately, our tongues have the power to destroy our souls. We are the greatest victim of our own sinful tongue. So look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, this verse is very difficult to translate, and many commentators prefer how the NIV translates it. The NIV says... The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts or members of the body. The point that James appears to be making is that the tongue, more than any member of our body, leads us to sin. It is a world of unrighteousness. It is full of evil and malice and slander and jealousy. More than any member of our body, the tongue stains or defiles us. For instance, think back to the last time you said something that you immediately regretted. As soon as you said it, you wanted to catch your words in the air. It's like, no. So what do you do? You quickly apologize. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. It slipped. Well, actually, you did mean it. You just didn't realize that was in your heart. You see, the real problems is not outside of us, but inside of us. And when those things come out of our mouths, they defile us or stain us. Jesus explains how our words defile us in Matthew 15, verse 11. He says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Go down to verse 17, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, 
murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile or stain a person. Now, my friends, listen to me carefully. Our sinful words stain us. Our sinful words stain us just as if we smeared feces, poop all over our body. That is what our sinful words are like. Do you abhor your sinful thoughts and your sinful tongue more than you hate a cesspool of sewage waste? This is what defiles a person, the words that come out of our hearts. Ultimately, the tongue sets our lives on fire. It destroys the whole course of life from first cry to final breath. As one commentator says, it wrecks havoc throughout one's life. This is the way of the fool who pours out folly, who despises instruction, who spreads lies, who scoffs at reproof, who afflicts with evil, who stirs up strife, who dishonors his parents, who hates others and stands in defiance against God. Friends, the tongue is a fire. It stains the body. It destroys our lives. And it will ultimately lead us straight to hell. Our tongues are set on fire by the very flames of hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Apart from Christ, our sinful words will lead us to suffer God's judgment forever. Now maybe you're thinking, is that so? Is the tongue really this destructive? And James says, yes. The reason that the tongue is so deadly, because no one in this room and no one in the world can tame it. Look at verse 7 to 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now, James here compares taming the tongue with taming every creature. This language echoes back to Genesis 1, when God blessed mankind with authority over His creation. You see, God has created us to have dominion over every single beast. But the tongue, my friends, is a different animal. Do you want to know how hard it is to tame the tongue? Later this afternoon, I want you to book a ticket to sub-Saharan Africa. And when you get there, I want you to go on a safari. And on that safari, when you see a lion, ask the tour guide to stop the car. Get out of the car and by yourself, go tame that lion and bring that lion back here for us to see next Friday. You think that's hard? It's been done. And James says, try taming the tongue. 
You can tame a lion, but no one can tame the tongue. The tongue is a restless evil. It's untamable. It's full of deadly poison. The word restless here is the same word that James uses in chapter 1 to describe the double-minded man. The tongue is unstable. You see, our tongues are ready to speak blessing one moment, and at the very next, ready to speak with poison on our lips, just like the serpent in the garden. All of our sinful words are evil lies, lies made in the image of the serpent that curse others. Look at verse 9 to 10. With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness or image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Friends, we are double-tongued, unstable in our speech. We come on Fridays and we sing praises to God. But when we drive back home, we curse that person who cut us off. We say we worship God with our lives, but we slander our neighbor. We speak malice to our bosses. We hurl insults in our anger. And we curse the very ones for whom Christ died. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. If we really love God with our hearts, we must also love one another with our words. As John warns in 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot see, cannot love God, sorry, he who loves his brother whom he can see, cannot love God whom he has not seen. When we speak hatred to others, even if it's an unkind word, even if it doesn't seem like a big deal, it wasn't that bad. Every single word not said in love is hating our brothers and is inconsistent with our profession as Christians. It's just like a spring that pours forth both fresh and salt water. Look at verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Speaking blessings on one day and cursing the next is like a spring that produces clean water on one day and salt or bitter water the next. It does not and cannot happen. Just like a fig tree cannot bear olives and a grapevine cannot produce figs, so too a salt pond cannot produce fresh water. And so it is with us. If we are truly born again, we must control our tongues. 
Self-control of the tongue is a mark that we are truly born again. As Jesus explains in Matthew 12, verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You broad of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, the person who's trusted in Christ, who has genuine faith in Christ, the good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will stand condemned. Just like we saw last week with Abraham, our words show the true measure of our faith. By our words we will be justified at the end of time. Or, by our words, we will stand condemned at the end of time. Do you want to know if you are really a Christian? Examine your tongue. Can you bridle your words? Beloved, apart from Christ, we know that this is utterly impossible. We know that apart from Christ... All of us in this room stand condemned by the deadly disease of the tongue. We are like the double-minded crowds in Jerusalem. On Palm Sunday, they praise Jesus Christ with their lips, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And yet on Good Friday... The same mouths that sang Christ's praise cried out before Pilate, Crucify him. Let him be crucified. Let his blood be on us and our children. Friends, we are no different than the crowds. One day we sing, All glory be to Christ. The next we curse our neighbor because he took our parking spot. Every time we sin, every single time we sin with our words, we mock Jesus Christ and we join the crowds who cry, crucify him, crucify him. We all stand condemned by our words because no one, no one can tame the deadly disease of the tongue. But the good news of the gospel, my friends, the good news of the gospel is that God did not leave us to ourselves. Jesus Christ was not born under the headship of Adam, but he is the promised seed of the woman who came to crush the venomous lies of the serpent. God himself in Christ took on flesh so that he might tame the tongue and offer his blameless life to us. Jesus Christ never said a single word out of frustration. Think about that the next time you're struggling with anger. 
He did not say a single word out of frustration or sin. He was blameless with his speech. He always spoke the truth in love. And even when he was under the most difficult trial, he did not speak a sinful word. Pilate questioned him. The soldiers mocked him. The scribes spat upon him. The rulers scoffed at him. The thieves on the cross ridiculed him. And when he was reviled, Jesus Christ did not revile in return. And when he was squeezed to his final breath, the only words that came out of his mouth was, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. With a loud cry, he offered his life as a perfect atoning sacrifice for every careless word that we have said. Jesus Christ drank the full cup of God's judgment. He was cursed by God on that cross so that everyone who trusts in him will receive his blessing. And on the third day, on the third day, Christ rose victoriously from the grave and now offers us full pardon for our iniquity. My friends, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord with their lips, if they confess, if you confess your sins, if you turn from your iniquity and trust in Christ, you will be given a new heart that sings his praise. Friends, if you do not know him, you are condemned by your words. Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ today, and you will be saved. Trust in the precious words of this gospel message. Beloved saints, it is only at the cross where we find hope to bridle our tongue and use our words to bless one another. Jesus Christ, our King, has conquered. And He has equipped us. He's given us His Spirit. And now by the power of the Spirit and the power of His Word, He calls us, He calls you, to make war against your sin. He calls you to use your tongue not to curse, but to bless, to spread the news of His return, to share the gospel with others, and to point others to the hope of Jesus Christ. And every time you find yourself saying what you ought not to say, repent of your sin, trust in Christ, and be careful with your words. Praise God that when these poor, lisping, stammering tongues lie silent in the grave, we will sing a nobler, sweeter song as we sing His power to save. And on that final day, we will stand before the throne and we will gather around the Lamb as a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in our hands, and we will sing with our lips, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
Let's pray. Dear my Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, and who has spoken a better word. We pray that you'd help us to trust in this word and to offer our lives as a living sacrifice by speaking the truth and love to others and by bridling our tongue. We pray that you'd help us to live self-controlled lives and that you'd use us to expand the glory of your name. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.